BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> All right, here we go. In three, two, one. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Absolutely the worst question ever asked in the history of asking questions. Terrible question. I just see my but great material for the Ben Jarofsky show now about three years and counting, D. I feel like that's the go-to clip when Maya joins us. So Yes, and uh Maya is joining us and unfortunately she missed the go-to clip, so we'll have to play it again for her to really fire her up and get her going. All right, D, let's so. just start from the top. None of this happened, all right? I'll edit all, right. all this out. Here we go. Oh no, I love that. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not editing it out. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good oh, question. That is the Maya clip now. It's my clip. Never forget it, ladies and gentlemen. Doing a show at the old Sun Times, that little lovely studio they had for us, just down the hall from the bathroom, letting us know what they thought about us. Hey, we'll put them right by the bathrooms. Anyway, Maya walks in. I forget what we were going to talk about. She goes, "I got to talk about this." This, you know, I could win a Pulitzer, and you would still be talking about like it was my greatest accomplishment. It's your greatest accomplishment on the Ben Jarofsky show, without a doubt. Total improvisation. Anyway, I don't. You know what, Maya? I don't know when that was. I like. I should redrop that show. I just don't know. I'd have to do a little deep dive to figure out when uh, Hillary Clinton was in town. In the fall of 2019. Wow. The deep dive has already been done. Done. Uh, anyway. Hey, the show's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Check it out. And columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, June 21st, and this is The Ben Jarowski Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarowski. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this Pence Comes to Chicago Tuesday, and here's why. His Vice President Mike Pence came to Chicago yesterday, and the, it's on the front page of the Chicago Sun-Times. Did the Tribune put it on the front page? Yes, the Tribune put it on the front page, too. Uh, <laughs> I, listen, I'm, I have at best mixed feelings about uh, Mike Pence. An absolute disgrace as a vice president, supported Donald Trump every step of the way, a complete coward, never had the guts. I realize that sort of comes with the territory of a vice president. I understand that. Hubert Humphrey destroyed his political career by never daring to admit that the Vietnam War may have been a bad idea. Hello, President Johnson. I realize that. I realize being vice president just sets you up to be humbled and humiliated. But to turn your head and ignore the crimes, misdemeanors and felonies committed by Donald John Trump, outrageous. And he should not be considered, my humble opinion, 
to be vice president of uh, presidential material. But here he is in Chicago giving a speech. And because, ladies and gentlemen, because the talk about the bar being low in American politics today, because he did not what agree to the coup that Donald Trump had cooked up that would enable Donald Trump to be president. Uh, even though he lost the election to subvert all democracy, because he didn't agree to that, he's considered presidential material. The bar is low in American politics. I'll hold off on further uh, on that conversation and shift gears to, to my distinguished guest, Maya Dukmasafa, uh, excellent reporter for Injustice Watch. And Maya, I've been, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Welcome back, Connor. Um, and... Uh, before we take the deep dive on the Injustice Watch uh, Judicial Ballot Guide to the Elections, which is a great, great, great resource, my hat is off to everybody in Injustice Watch. I, as I told Maya, spent about two hours of my life on Saturday. Maya's probably laughing at me. Two hours, ladies and gentlemen, going through that. It was fascinating. As a political junkie, I found it just fascinating, the path, the journey that so many just the Chicago lawyers take to come to this point in their life when they're going to be a judge and sit on the Cook County uh, judicial bench and have huge power over our lives. And we don't know anything about it. It's like we know way more about our candidates for aldermen than we do about these candidates for judge. And I'm guilty of this, Maya. I'm guilty. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else in the city of Chicago. For years and years and years, I went through life cluelessly ignorant about the judicial process, cluelessly ignorant about the people who render justice, you know? And, man, this has opened uh, my eyes. My eyes are open. Will they go back to being shut? I do not know. But before we take the deep dive, I just had a little news on our first Tuesday's front. No July show, Maya. No July show. That's right. People should take uh, take July off from hard hitting political topics, uh, and we'll be back on August um, with uh, with an exciting show on the patio. Yes. Oh, okay. I can't wait. Uh, I I didn't. I'm just going to be honest, folks. Uh, I'm having an operation on the fifth. Minor surgery. Uh, uh, some skin cancer removed. And I just told Maya, I go, yeah, Maya, I don't know. The day after 4th of July, I'm having an operation. I think it might be just, uh, this old man should just chill and just sit back and just take a deep breath, do some yoga, concentrate on the good things in life, and heal. So take a day off. Uh, that sounds like a good plan. And we'll yeah. be back August 2nd. Yes, we'll be back August 2nd. We're going to have a great guest. It's going to be a blast. The last show, uh, I urge everybody to check it out. It's uh, I dropped it as a podcast. Uh, Tina's Vandellas and Rachel Hinton, excellent job uh, summarizing uh, the election, uh, talking politics, uh, two great guests. So uh, we're on a roll, in my humble opinion, at First Tuesdays. So, all right. Uh, speaking of a roll, uh, the Injustice Watch uh, guide. Hold on. Out. I have it uh, on my computer here. We're going to take a deep dive, have some fun with it. Uh, but why don't you just start with a little uh, a background, uh, Maya? The amount of work that went into this. Just, just let's just take a moment to uh, pat ourselves on the back. Well, not myself, but the Injustice uh, Watch staff, because this is 
a, a massive undertaking, it seems like to me, the amount of information you gathered about all these judicial candidates. Talk a little bit about what went into uh, producing this guide. Yeah, so this took thousands of hours of work on our team. We had, um, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven, basically eight, eight of us working um, uh, pretty heavily uh, on this. I mean, some of us started working on this um, in at the beginning of the year, and then other members of our team um, started putting in more and more hours on it as well. And each one of these candidates, I mean, we do extensive research on, you know, we look into their career backgrounds, their campaign finance, who they've represented as lawyers, whether they themselves have been sued, how, you know, whether they've been in the news for any reason. Um, We do these old clip searches. We do. And I mean, some of these people who have like pretty active practices who've been lawyers for a long time. There's a lot of cases to sift through where they've been lawyers. Um, they've ever been sued. There's a lot of information to sift through before you, we can figure out, okay, this is like something noteworthy or, you know, some, some, you know, some frivolous thing. Some of the people who are uh, career government employees may be, you know, may be named in tons of lawsuits where there's nothing having to do with, anything they might have done wrong, but it's sort of, you know, one of the, they they have to be named as in their official capacity. So there's a lot, there's just a lot of details like that to go through. We compiled information on their bar evaluations. We sent out surveys to these candidates uh, to answer some questions that we had for them. And most of them did respond. We, um, Gosh, what else we and then, you know, we synthesize all this information into into like, you know, relatively digest, hopefully relatively digestible um, uh, guide entries where you can quickly glance through and and kind of get a cursory look uh, with some flags that indicate, you know, if they're endorsed by the Democratic Party, if they're a former prosecutor or public defender, if uh, they've got some controversy in their background, or you can really uh, take the deep dive, which sounds like what you did uh, and, and really read through all of the candidate profiles for all the people on your ballot. And Injustice Watch has been doing this um, since 2016. So we've been, we've been every election cycle for the primary and the November election. We release these guides. It seems like they're getting more and more popular every election cycle. And I'm just really proud to be working for a journalism organization that isn't just writing articles, identifying a problem, but also like, doing some kind of civic work to try to solve that problem. So it's exciting to see the guide out there. Um, we have it in print and we have it online and it seems like a lot of people are using it. So it's great yeah. to see the fruit of our labor. No, I, I, and I'll say this, uh, <laughs> I tend to be um, very jaded. People say, Oh Ben, you're so jaded. You're so cynical. And I'm, first of all, I don't think I'm cynical. Uh, everybody else is cynical. I'm just obser- observing what I'm just making the observation. Uh, but having said that, I, I actually believe, uh, God saying this, it's going to like lose all my street credibility as a, as a jaded observer, but this next generation of journalists got it together. In my humble opinion, the millennials, I think just have a different worldview, uh, that baby boomers did and Gen Xers who follow baby boomers, pretend like they're not like baby boomers, but guys, you're really kind of like baby boomers. Just your, the music you listen to was worse. And, um, and just, so it's a healthy attitude. In my opinion, you guys aren't afraid 
uh, to take stands and just say something like, you know, this is corrupt or this is ridiculous or this is absurd. So I find it refreshing as a, an old guy looking back. All right. Um, so we know when I, when I, uh, I urge everybody to go uh, and find it. Just Google Injustice Watch Judicial. Just Google Injustice Watch. It'll pop up so you can find it. It won't be hard. All right. And you really got to go online. And my humble opinion might have really appreciate it because you got to take that deep dive. So why don't we just show people? We'll give some examples. And I'm going to say this up front. Uh, and Maya, you can say it too. We are not making any endorsements on this show. We are merely reciting the text and taking, you know, analyzing the text on the just uh, uh, in the Justice Watch um, guide. So very important. We are not making any endorsements. Correct, Maya? Correct. The Injustice Watch is not, we don't endorse any candidates. We don't tell you who to vote for. We just provide you with information you need to make an informed decision for yourself. So the guide is fully nonpartisan. Um, it's it's really uh, it's really meant to be an informational resources resource. And so the first thing that happens when you go to the guide, and I have it on a different computer, so I'm going to take my microphone. Uh, the first thing you do when you go to the guide, you click on it, they ask you where you live. And that gets in the whole issue of your judicial district. Uh, And uh, so I'll talk about that first. But uh, the first thing I want to talk about actually is not that judicial district, because the first choice you get on the ballot uh, and the guide has to do with appellate court races. Uh, And they are not they're larger than any one uh, sub circuit district. Uh, And so why don't you. Yeah, everyone, everyone sees the appellate uh, once you pick your sub-circuit on, on the guide online, uh, you won't actually see the races that are specific to your sub-circuit until lower down on the ballot. The first choice you'll have to make is for the two appellate court vacancies. So for the Democratic ballot, you've got uh, two sets of three candidates to look through. And we have little... Uh, candidate icons like little flags for the candidates um and we give you a little key right when you start so we label whether the person has some past controversy negative ratings or highly qualified ratings if they've been appointed a judge in the past uh whether they're a current or former prosecutor or current or former public defender and whether they have the Democratic Party's endorsement. Now, the Democratic Party only endorses for appellate court seats and for countywide judicial vacancies. So there are 10 countywide vacancies for circuit court judges. So the Democratic Party has an endorsed candidate for each one of those. And then for the sub-circuits, which will be not everyone, not every sub-circuit has vacant seats this cycle. So some of you guys might be living in a sub-circuit where you don't have any any rates specific to your area to choose from. But in most sub-circuits, there is at least one vacancy. And so for those races, the Democratic Party doesn't make any endorsements as a party, but your local elected officials might be, might be supporting someone. Oh. So um, for the appellate court seats, uh, these are 10-year terms. Uh, these are folks uh, in November, uh, I think, at least one of these, will, there will be a Republican. Um, there will be a Republican uh, uh, candidate to square off against in November. Um, the uh, yeah, that the, so the first thing to decide is is who you want to be on the appellate court. 
All right. And, now, wait, I have a quick question for you uh, about appellate court. So, as you said, the appellate court is uh, it, is it appeals. So you don't like the first uh, the, the first verdict in a case you appeal and then you come to the appellate court. OK. Uh, and it says the appellate court hall vacancy. Now, here's my it's a 10 year term. Now, this is so a Ben question. And if you don't know the answer, that's fine. But so that I, when I see that, I go, Oh, there's some judge named hall who stepped down, retired, whatever is no longer a judge. Uh, and they're filling the vacancy. Would there be an election, uh, in this, for this appellate court seat, if hall, uh, did not step down or it's just the, the end of his 10 year term. Go ahead. Yeah. So they the only way that you have a contested election for a judicial seat is if a sitting judge retires, resigns, dies, you know, gets moved to a different part of the court system, leaves their seat vacant, essentially, because when a judge is already sitting in their position, they don't like each time their term is up, like every 10 years for appellate justices, they don't go up. In, they don't have like a contested uh, re-election the way that any other public official, elected official would. You don't have a, you know, you don't have, you, you're not facing challenges from people who are saying, hey, you're doing a bad job. You shouldn't continue to be a judge. Instead, judges in Illinois who are elected, they go up for retention at the end of their term. So 10 years for appellate court and Supreme Court, uh, six years for uh, the circuit court judges. And the retention election happens in November. That'll be like that super long part of your November ballot where you just have the names of the judges listed. You don't have any party affiliation. And we, the voters, just have to decide yes or no to keeping them on the bench. And if a judge loses a retention election, which happens very, very rarely, but if they lose a retention election, then their seat becomes vacant Usually there's a temporary appointment. The Supreme Court temporarily appoints someone to fill that vacant seat after someone loses. And then the following actual election year, uh, there would be a contested contest for that vacancy. So actually, the person that was appointed to fill the hall vacancy after Justice Hall retired, uh, I think they were Maybe they passed away. I don't remember the details. But after Justice Hall's seat became vacant, somebody was appointed to fill it. And that person is not, for whatever reason, decided not to run to actually stay in that seat. So we've got three candidates, um, two sitting judges in the domestic relation division, and one, uh, Russell Hardigan, who used to be a judge and who resigned from the bench a few years ago for some family issues. And now he's like running to get back on the get back on the bench to become an appellate court justice. Um, the Shelley Harris vacancy, there was also not somebody appointed to fill it because Sher Shelley Harris uh, very abruptly resigned, uh, said he wasn't going to run, um, said he, yeah, he very abruptly resigned. There was some controversy involving some ethics issues with him step allegedly stepping in on a case that his nephew was involved in. And uh, anyway, these three candidates running for his vacancy are also um, are also kind of new in the mix. OK, uh, uh, thank you. That's an excellent explanation. Let's deal with the hall vacancy first. Everybody's going to get to vote in this no matter where you live. We're going to get into the sub circuits in a little while. I'll use mine as an example. Uh, I think, folks, just 
playing with the sub-circuit map alone will be fascinating. I spent about a half an hour doing that, Maya. Really weird. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> uh, so we got Ru- uh, Russell Russ Hardigan, and the Russ is in uh, quotes. That's like his nickname. Uh, Dominique C. Ross. These are the three candidates. Deborah B. Walker. So Dominique C. Ross is the one that was endorsed by the Democratic Party. Maya, I have a confession to make. Please do not hold this against me. In the past, that may have been good enough for me to vote for that person. Yes, it's true, Maya. There was a time when I was so ignorant. If I voted at all for the judges, I would go, who are the Democrats? What a dumb idea, by the way, when I think back on it. Because Ed Burke and Michael Madigan were the people basically calling the shots. So essentially, I was voting for Ed Burke's candidate. I probably should have just gone for whoever was not the Democratic I don't know. I made my confession, all right? So let's just take a look uh, at uh, Dominique Ross. When we click on it, you go to... You click the, on the info box, yeah. Yes. You click on the info box. You get a picture of Dominic C. Ross. Uh, and um, you get the, the experience that she has. So she was a circuit court judge. She is a circuit court judge, 2008 to present. She hears divorce, child custody, and other cases in the domestic relations division. Just gathering that information alone, Maya, was... I don't know. It just gathering this information is pretty good because it's not easy info to get. Uh, she's an, she was an attorney in private practice for 13 years, <clears throat> focused on family law. She went to Loyola, uh, and here's uh, Ross is a former chair of the Illinois Judicial Council, an association of black judges. Ross was sued in 2009 by an election attorney she hired for allegedly failing to pay him more than $60,000 for his work. She countersued, claiming the attorney had exceeded his estimated hours without telling her the case was ultimately settled. Several attorneys told in Justice Watch that Ross has been known for showing up late to court and has on occasion missed or continued hearings. At least one attorney mentioned she had improved in recent years. They asked to speak anonymously because they still work in the domestic relations division and did not want to prejudice their clients. In a statement, Ross strongly refuted the allegations, quote, if I was late for a few or more of those thousands of hearings and trials, not having been provided without a day, a month, or even a year of the alleged tardiness or absence, how could I adequately respond to or refute a broad and ambiguous allegation? Additionally, she said, it's more likely than not that a circumstance arose outside of my immediate control, and that was the reason I was not present. Also, I was, as possible, I was delayed for unspecified amount of updated hearings of the approximate 1,000 hearings, set, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, therefore, I reject the characterizations of tardiness and not showing up being uh, uh, a reputation, and I find it insulting. Wow. I mean, just that deep dive. Who do you like? Who did that? Or, or if you don't want to name the reporter who did that deep dive, how did you find oh, all that material? Go ahead. The the uh, the allegations about her being late. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the, I was the one that was researching her, so I basically um, reached out to people who attorneys who practice in the domestic relations division um, from different kinds of firms, um, and just asked like, okay, what do you, what are your impressions of this judge? Um, and this is something that several attorneys told me about. Um, so, you know, then this, since this was kind of something that related to her, um, ability to do her job and her performance, we reached out to her and asked her to, you know, if she had any responses to this. As you can see, she sent us a very lengthy explanation about why this was an unfair to say about her. So 
you know, readers can, uh, voters can, can, can take away from it what they will, um, whether they, you know, how seriously they want to take these, these allegations. So, yeah, and after after that section, what you can see is a candidate survey excerpt. So this is her responses to the the survey that we sent. And if you click on read full candidate survey, you can see all the questions that we asked and all of her answers. Then lower down, you have a you have a list of how all the different bar associations that rated her, um, wh- how they weighed in on her qualifications to to be an appellate court justice. And then below that, you have her campaign finance information, and you can see who has been giving her money. Um, we have the top five donors on there, uh, but if you click on Read More on Illinois Sunshine, it'll give you all the information about all her donations. So if somebody wants to geek out on that, they can do that. And finally, we have her endorsements. Um, we just listed uh, big organizations and PACs and labor unions, if, if people have gotten endorsements from those. Um, so she's got she's endorsed by the personal pack in Chicago Federation of Labor. And yeah, so that's that's that that should give you ample information to decide whether you you would like Dominique Ross to be an appellate court justice. Absolutely. And the campaign finance is 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 great. Everything. I mean, see, in the old days, folks, you thought you were learning it when it came to judges. If you took a look at uh, the compilation of recommendations that the Sun-Times and the Tribune were put together. And I'm not, I'm not hating on the Sun-Times and the Tribune. I'm glad they did that, okay? Because a lot of times I relied on that as well. Uh, so you would know, for instance, that um, the, uh, the Asian American Bar Association, I mean, the Black Women Lawyers Association recommended her, the Asian American Bar Association of Greater Chicago not recommended, Arab American Bar Association recommended, Chicago Bar Association qualified. In other words, this, they, but you don't know, you really don't know who these groups are. Uh, you can kind of figure them out from their titles. Uh, you don't know how much credibility you should give any of these groups. Do you say, see what I'm saying? My, it's kind of like, you know, they, the group may be consisting of haters who, for whatever reason, do not like her or they be filled with her friends. And so they have, the, you, so this in itself is kind of sketchy just to rely on that. Uh, but then when you get to that campaign finance, gives you an idea how connected she is and endorsed by personal PAC. That's the uh, reproductive rights organization. Terry Cosgrove comes in the show all the time. is ahead of it. Chicago Federation of Labor, Bob Writers, the organization of labor. So um, she clearly uh, has Democratic Party support. And if that's where you want to go, that's where you want to go. All right. Yeah, we, but it just, you know, you should also know that these endorsements, you know, that's also something to, that just because one candidate in the race has those endorsements doesn't mean another candidate in the race doesn't also have those endorsements. I mean, personal pack also endorsed Deborah Walker, who's in that race. So it's, it's, um, there's different layers. These things make, I feel like more sense when they're looked at in comparison. So as you look at the candidate, you know, cause you got to decide on a li- one person from a limited pool. So, um, all of this stuff can kind of be taking, taken in concert and in comparison. And so this, what we just described about, about Dominique Ross, this is true for, this is true of every race that's on the ballot. So for every single candidate, we have this level of depth of information on them, um, and, uh, finally, when you get done with making all your choices for the 10 circuit court races, you'll get down and you'll see the races specific to your sub circuit where you live. And the candidates running in those races have to live in the sub circuit and only voters in that sub circuit get to choose. 
Got it. Okay, just so you know, just so we don't look like we're just uh, focusing on one judge. The other judge in appellate, Deborah B. Walker, she's a Cook County Circuit Court uh, judge right now. She's been a judge since 2008. She currently serves in the Domestic Relations Division, presiding over divorce cases. Uh, before that, she had her own, uh, she worked for a Clawson Miller, a law firm. She was a partner, represented professionals accused of malpractice and judged accused of misconduct by the Judicial Inquiry Board. Interesting just line of, I mean, everybody needs a lawyer. So just an interesting line of legal practice. Uh, and she went to the university of Illinois law school. And before she went to law school, she was a certified public accountant. So you can get a sense of her background or training, what she brings to it. Uh, and then there's, um, uh, her uh, survey excerpt and, and all the same thing qualified. She has less money in her, uh, campaign finance. She has 113,000, uh, most of which came from herself, 51,000, but, uh, the deep dive for her as well. And then finally, this gentleman has been sending me a lot of a, uh, flyers for some reason he got my name, uh, Russell Russ Hardigan. And, uh, he is, uh, as you know, yeah, he's a circuit, he's a circuit court or was a circuit court judge. And he's the guy you were talking about came out of retirement. So absolutely everybody gets the same treatment. All right, let's, I got an eye on the clock, Maya. So, uh, Let's take a look at the sub-circuit. There's, as Maya said, just to let you know, there's another appellate court vacancy, three other candidates. You're going to have to vote on them. You could do the deep dive with them, uh, just like you did, we did with the hall vacancy. Okay, so to find out where I lived, uh, you do, all you got to do is first help us uh, find your judicial district. You type your address in, and then it tells you, uh, in my case, I'm in the ninth. Uh, which is the north side of Chicago, Rogers Park and West Ridge, uh, and the suburbs of Evanston, Skokie, Lincolnwood, and Wilmette. Uh, and it's the home to the court Skokie Courthouse. So right there. Um, I did not know I lived in the ninth sub-circuit. <laughs> did not know where the ninth sub-circuit was. I'm actually also in the ninth sub-circuit. So this apply. Have you voted yet? No, I'm going to go on election day. It's going to be my first time voting in person since I've been living at this particular address. So I'm curious to check out my polling place. Okay. Well, I could just tell you, I, I voted early cause we we're going to be out of town on election day. My wife and I, she voted early too. And she took my cheat sheet uh, that I put together based on uh, all your research. And uh, it was a blast. I, I know this sounds really weird and nerdy, but it was fun voting for the judges. Cause I, I knew all oh, that judge is this. I'm most excited about like, to be honest, this is not a particularly exciting election in the democratic primary. We don't, you know, it's like JB's running and, I mean, I guess uh, there's a, there's a few exciting uh, state house races and congressional races, but not where I live. And, you know, then, you know, the, yeah, there's like se secretary of state, hotly contested race, you know. So to me, I mean, this, I don't just say this because I worked on putting together this guide, but I really do feel like most excited to vote for the judges. I feel like there's actually choices to be made. These are these are votes that really matter because these people are going to be impacting people's lives. And I feel like I can make like such an informed decision on these races. Uh, yes. Feel the same way. All right. So the first thing is the Brennan. These are sub circuit race. Uh, these are your, your sub circuit division uh, districts. Excuse me. Circuit court races. A br uh, another vacancy. Brennan stepped down. So I, I guess it's the same rules as appellate. Uh, there was a vacancy, and so open seat, you get to run for it as opposed to a straight-up retention vote. Uh, and in this particular uh, race, there's three candidates. Howard B. Brookins, Jr., who happens to be the alderman of the 21st Ward, uh, Ubi O. O'Neill, and Lisa Michelle 
Taylor Brookins has the Democratic nom uh, endorsement. The party surprise, surprise. <laughs> Comm- committeeman Howard Brookins. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Maya's funny. Um, so, all right. T- talk a little bit about uh, the. Even though uh, I found this information by, by looking up my subcircuit. It's citywide. Everybody in the uh, yeah. The first ahead. ten on this list, the like the one with Brookins and the other nine that you that you'll see, those are everybody in the county will get to vote on them. So these are judges, judicial vacancies that are countywide, and still there are six year terms. And after those six years, the person will go up for retention um, that yes or no vote. But everybody in the county will get to vote on them, um, and you'll see the subcircuit races specific to whichever subcircuit you live in um if there are vacancies there you'll see them at the bottom of the list so for the ninth we have two vacancies the cleveland vacancy and the jacobius vacancy yeah uh all right this is what i found also interesting the backgrounds of the judges when they were lawyers and I'm a big fan of John Grisham novels, his uh, courtroom uh, dramas. I obsessively read them, and then I watch every movie, sometimes two or three times. Yeah, it's a cry for help. Uh, and, um, but the, the thing about a John Grisham novel, like the idealism of uh, his uh, protagonists it motivates them when they go out into uh, the legal world and decide whether they're going to be a defense lawyer for corporations or defense lawyer for uh, really poor people who are just thrown into jail uh, without solid evidence. And it's just interesting to read, like, for instance, Lisa Michelle Taylor. I would never have known this in a million years. Uh, Maya, she is a um, an associate from uh, her uh, with a, a law firm named Schwartz Gilligan. And she rep- represents defendants in car accidents and other cases involving injuries or insurance claims. Uh, and uh, she's been, uh, she also has represented plaintiffs in personal injury, medical malpractice, and police conduct lawsuits when she worked for a firm called Henderson Parks. Um, what do you make, like, of a, a, when you read through this, when you go through this, of a, uh, a judicial candidate's legal background? Well, I think that it's always interesting to me when I see people who don't have a background working either as Cook County prosecutors or public defenders, people who um, have like a career in the private, you know, at private law firms uh, doing basically civil civil work. Um, this is true for Lisa Taylor. So. Lots of people, especially prosecutors, um, have a career interest in, in, in being a judge. And historically, judges have overwhelmingly come from a background of being Cook County prosecutors. And so it's, you know, pe- people are, it's a lot of people see it as like a benefit and, and uh, you know, that increases your chances of eventually becoming a judge. If you first work as a prosecutor or a public defender, you get to know the Cook County uh, legal system and get to know, you know, the different players, how things work. And then you can have like a stronger pitch for yourself as having courtroom experience. But criminal court is just like one corner of the court system. There's so many different kinds of 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 legal issues that our courts handle. And most of them are not criminal matters. So 
judge, the judges we elect, they don't, just because you're, you have a background as a criminal lawyer, doesn't mean you're going to be hearing criminal cases. All new judges first get assigned to traffic court and marriages and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as they gain more experience and time goes on, they'll get reassigned to different divisions in the courthouse. Um, they'll, some, you know, people will have preferences or areas of expertise. And sometimes they'll get assigned to, you know, maybe they want to maybe they want to hear big civil lawsuits and eventually they'll make it to the law division. But, you know, that's not it's not necessarily guaranteed. So I'm always interested in people who have um, some civil legal background who have and especially, you know, um, if it has to do with like family law or representing plaintiffs in lawsuits against corporations or if they've worked with children or, you know, on housing issues or representing landlords or tenants in eviction court, like these kinds of backgrounds, they're, they're, they, they come up less frequently among these candidates. But I think that it's, it's like pretty significant because, again, like most of the cases that go through the Cook County court system, which is the second largest in the nation, are not criminal matters. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Uh... I know what you're saying. The, f the first time I ever got engaged uh, w with the Cook County judicial system years ago, I had to write a story. I uh, had to do with a, fa a dispute between, oh God, uh, a, a parent and uh, gra uh, grandparents uh, and looking for uh, custody rights with their grandchildren. It was a family dispute. Uh, it was a very uh, eye-opening uh, revelation. Uh, and in that matter, you needed Solomon to be a judge. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Somebody, and this gets into the issue. Uh, the final question I'll ask for you, uh, has to do with what the issue of bias. And, uh, so ideally I'm looking for somebody who is just without bias. Uh, justice is blind. Where's the blindfold? Uh, Maya. But in reality, let's face it. We're all human beings. Uh, and, um, we come to, uh, the bench or the judges come to the bench with a lifetime of biases. How do you like evaluate the notion of bias? Is there any way to do that openly or do you guys, is that kind of a subterranean message that's emerging from uh, the bios that you write for these judges? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because judicial candidates can't answer questions about their like, values or beliefs or how will they rule on cases or what they think about different issues. So the kind of um, questions that you can ask political candidates normally are really are off limits for, for people running for judge because they're not supposed to weigh in on any issues because those issues could end up coming up in cases that they would have to later rule on. So the proxy that I think people have for thinking through bias is like, what is the person's, you know, racial or ethnic background, their gender, their, you know, uh, their gender identity or, or, or uh, sexual orientation um, and the kind of work that they've done? Like, have they been representing people accused of crimes or have they been building cases accusing people of crimes? You know, have they been representing big corporations, defending them against lawsuits or have they been representing the people who, you know, bring those lawsuits. Um, so it's a question that we asked in our survey is like, also, where did people grow up? 
and how does that influence their career? So some of the answers we got from people were interesting because people talked explicitly about like, this is the kind of neighborhood I'm from. Like, this is the kind of thing I saw growing up. This is why I wanted to be a lawyer. This is how it's influencing my desire to be a judge. Um, I will say that like that the, 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 the candidates for judge have gotten really way more diverse than they used to be. The candidates uh, endorsed and slated by the Democratic Party are way more diverse than they used to be. So there's more women and people of color than ever, more LGBTQ candidates than ever. Um, and I think that that is uh, a way that both the Democratic Party and, you know, uh, our society in general, I guess, is is trying to deal with the issue of bias. Now, people shouldn't just assume that, like, you know, because somebody is, you know, a woman or from a certain uh, ethnic or racial background that like they are going to be representing a certain set of values. Obviously, that's why we do the guide is because like there's so much more to know about someone. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that income, again, this is a, com this presents to you a combination of factors and you just have to at a certain point, rely on your own gut and your own values to, to to try to triangulate as best you can for the kind of person that should be on the bench. Yeah, it's not as easy as a John Grisham novel, where John Grisham comes right out and tells you this is the bias of this uh, uh, judge. Uh, Maya, thank you so much. I know you got to run, yo, and uh, thank everybody at Injustice Watch. Outstanding job. Uh, Google Injustice Watch. It's the first thing that pops up. It's not hard to find. Even I found that this old baby boomer. Uh, and I spent a lot of time this weekend going through it. So great job, Maya. Give yourself a raise, all right? Thank you. All right, excellent. Maya Dukmasova uh, from Injustice Watch, my partner in crime. Uh, first Tuesdays will not be a first Tuesday show, as Maya and I were telling you, on in July. Uh, but we will be back uh, in August uh, with a great show, I'm sure. All right, that's our show for today. I want to thank uh, Maya. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride of joy, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. <laughs> and as Maya and all those judicial candidates will tell you, oh, somebody was doing a Chris Walken imitation. As Maya will tell you, uh, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for tomorrow. Let's give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. <laughs>